This is episode one of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today we will look at articles that deal with using sapling roots to make quick and easy cordage, 10 really good reasons to store natural raw honey in your preps, 4 things that are not safe to can at home, and finally prepping for an electronic magnetic pulse attack. I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Let's go ahead and get started. This first article comes from Survival Tech. And again, the title is Sapling Roots Make Quick and Easy Cordage. Uh, Here's the article. When we think of cordage, we most often think of rope or paracord. A visit to a hardware store, possibly the hardware section of a superstore, will provide all manner of cordage, both natural and synthetic. It's good to include some type of cordage in your go bag, backpack, or car's emergency supplies. On the bushcraft side of life, cordage can be made in the field from a variety of fibrous materials. Plants such as nettles, dogbane, milkweed, thistle, grass, and more provide fiber that can be twisted by hand into strands of cordage. Using fibers can often take time to prepare, but there is perhaps a quicker resource for binding material, sapling roots. A sapling is defined as a young tree, especially one with a slender trunk. They they send out roots that are close to the surface of the ground that can grow to several feet in length. In addition, they are very flexible and quite strong. The roots in the photo were collected from a sapling at the edge of the woods behind my home. The ground is covered by leaves and very moist from recent rains. I used a gardening hand cultivator to dig up the soil to reveal and retrieve the root, but a digging stick or even just your hands can accomplish the same task. The root was just an inch or so below the surface and about three feet long, but other roots could easily be longer. Care should be taken to uncover these as much as these as much as possible rather than just pulling it free to preserve their length which will make them much more serviceable for binding. The tripod in the photo was lashed together using the single root and was very serviceable. Additional roots could be used to further strengthen it if needed or to hang a pot over a campfire for cooking. In any case, it took very little effort to collect the root and assemble the tripod in a short amount of time. So um, it's a very short article, but I think you should go check it out and uh, you know, definitely go look at the um, at the pictures that he has there. Um, he has one of the pictures that he's he's showing the the sapling root. It looks it looks probably about two feet. It looks like it's rolled up a little bit, uh, two feet long. I know that he mentioned about three feet long. But, uh, you know, very interesting there. I don't know what that would do to the sapling. I don't know if that would kill it. I don't have enough information on that. Um, You know, that might be a good follow-up question or a uh, a good follow-up post to see what happens since uh, the sapling root is so close to his house. But definitely in an emergency, definitely if you really, really needed it, that's, uh, that's something good to use and something to always keep in the back of your mind. All right, let's go ahead and go to the next uh, article. It's 10 really good reasons to store natural raw honey 
in your preps. And this is coming to us from American Preppers Online. Uh, this is from the Sarge. Hello, my friends, and welcome back. Today we're going to take a look at natural raw honey and just why you should have lots of it in your preps. So grab a cup of coffee, my friend, and have a seat while we visit. Now, I know that many preppers out there have your own beehives and are well acquainted with all the great reasons to keep it in your preps. But for, for those of you who don't know, this will be a real eye-opener. Humans have been eating honey for thousands of years and probably as long as the little critters have been making it as well. Now, I'm not talking about the pasteurized crap they sell in most major food stores, but the good stuff that you can find at the local farmer's market and even directly from the beekeepers themselves. As far as I'm concerned, if it isn't raw honey, then you can keep it. The difference in flavor is incredible, and now raw honey is the only kind I will eat. Okay, so let's get down to business and start looking at what all you can do with honey and why it is important. Number one, it's a brain booster. Did you know that it has been proven to contain natural antibiotics and therapeutic properties that are able to help prevent dementia as well as helping to improve the brain's chronologic clock and circulation? It does. It's a natural antibiotic. It has antiseptic properties that inhibit the growth of certain bacteria and helps keep external wounds clean and free. It kills athlete's foot fungus. If you have that old, itchy, burny, stink foot, honey has been proven to cure it as well. Who knew? It kills yeast infection. Yes, honey has been proven to kill a yeast infection. I don't even want to know how they found that out. It soothes and helps heal sunburns. Its antibacterial properties prevent infection and functions as an anti-inflammatory agent. It also absorbs water from the air to help promote healing. It helps heal sore throats. This is one of the most common uses for honey. It works better of it works because of its excuse me. It works because of its antimicrobial properties which kills some of the bacteria that cause sore throats. It is an immune system builder. Because of its antioxidants, it helps, keep, helps build a healthy immune system. Honey is also great for your digestive system. I bet you didn't know that. Yes, sir, it helps smooth the digestive tract with, while also providing this probiotic properties to help your intestines to do their job. It helps prevent cancer and heart disease. Honey contains flavonoids, antioxidants, which helps keep helps reduce the risk of some cancers and heart disease. It helps regulate blood sugar. Yup, its exact mixture of glucose and fructose actually help your body regulate your body sugar better. Skin care. Talk about being someone's sweetheart. Mixing it with other ingredients, honey can actually have moisturizer properties while helping to kill germs. Honey has been used in India for over 4,000 years as a major part of their medical practice. Honey, honey certainly has some incredible properties and is definitely worth a place in your preps. If you're worried about it drying up and getting hard, don't simply heat it whilst, sorry, if, you, if you're worried about it drying up and getting hard, don't. Simply heat it while stirring it in a couple of drops of water and it will return to former glory. Roll a piece of hardened honey in a piece of foil and put it in your bug out bag so you will have it when you are out hunting or hiking. And like I said, don't buy just any honey. Buy raw honey from your local area and you will enjoy the anti-allergenic benefits of it. 
Given the long history of honey and all of the benefits it offers, everyone should keep a large stockpile of honey in their preps for when SHTF hits. Even if you have honeybees, you should still have, keep a large stockpile on hand because you never know when you may need it. Well, that's it for today, and I hope you have enjoyed today's post. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong, stay prepared. God bless America. Sarge. I have to agree with Sarge. There's a lot of great um, great things. Uh, Survivor Jane did uh, a post once on using uh, honey to heal uh, this, this nasty huge cut. I'll try to find it for you and link it on the, uh, on the show notes. But I, it was very, very remarkable, the, the healing properties of honey and how it, how it uh, went along and what it did for Survivor Jane. So I'm going to go ahead and, and link to that one if I can find it for you. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next article. All right, this next article comes from Food Storage Moms. Uh, and this is Linda talking about uh, four things that are not safe to can at home. You know, this has recently come up on um, our Facebook page, on the Prepper website Facebook page, and and uh, someone had a comment about some uh, items that were that the, an article that talked about being canned. So uh, I think that, and then other things that Linda's hearing out there has caused her to write this article, and she alludes to that in, uh, in the article. So let's go ahead and start reading. There are four things that are not safe to can at home, period. Lately, I have been concerned with articles on Facebook or blogs with posts stating that you can preserve certain foods at home that I knew were not safe to can. Then I started getting emails and Facebook PMs asking me if this post or that post was accurate. In my gut, I knew some of the foods weren't safe to can. So I went to the experts to confirm my thoughts. I am not a newbie to canning. I have been safely canning my foods per Utah State Extension Service guidelines for over 50 years. I also have my Master Preserver Canning Certificate via the USU through the USDA training courses. This is an updated article whereas I added milk to my list. I'm seeing a lot of people canning milk and cream. These are unsafe to can at home because of the fat in them. Now, you might say, I learned how to can them from my friend or whoever, and my jars look great. They may even taste okay. But here's the clincher. You don't know what bacteria is lurking inside those jars. Please, please, please do not risk the health of your family by canning these higher-risk food items. Carolyn mentioned the reason certain foods are not listed on your local state canning extension list is because they have not been proven safe to preserve via our home canning process. Number one, never can eggs. I want to bring this issue to everyone's attention because eggs are not safe to can at home. Bacteria will grow and you may not even see it in the jars when eggs are canned at home. Now I'm not talking about pickled eggs which are safe for the refrigerator for a short period of time only. Please do not can eggs. Call your local extension service if you still think you can, if you can can your own eggs. If the food items you have a question about canning yourself isn't listed on your local extension service, it is more than likely unsafe to process at home. Yes, you can freeze eggs, but personally, I don't want to fill my freezer with eggs. The texture will not be the same with frozen eggs, but they would work for baking. I get nervous about the electricity going out. I can only imagine trying to get rid of those thawed eggs in a power outage. 
I love reading about people having chickens and gathering eggs from their chicken coop. I've heard good stories from people who are learning to raise chickens who have the land and families working together as a team. I have also heard they have excess eggs and want to know what to do with all those eggs. So let's get real here. Please save money and buy some professionally processed eggs in number 10 cans for longer term storage needs or in packages from a reputable company. I only buy Ova Easy eggs. They are real eggs. You can scramble them, make a frittata quiche or bake with them. I have a few number 10 cans of powdered eggs, but I must say they do not taste like eggs. When cooked in a frying pan, even with butter, they will be fine for baking muffins, cakes, pancakes, or bread. These are the only ones I like to buy because the taste, they taste just like eggs out of a carton. Number two, never can bacon. There's too much fat in bacon to make it safe for canning at home. I'm not a scientist or a microbiologist to be able to explain correctly the significance of the bacteria that grows in bacon if you are trying canning at home. I realize some people have canned bacon for years and swear by its safety. Here again, we don't know what's lurking in our home canned bacon. I highly recommend you do not can bacon at home. Here's the deal. I love bacon. Doesn't everything taste better with bacon in it? My husband and I have been eating BLTs for weeks now with the tomatoes out of our garden. The only bacon that's on my food storage shelves is four cans of professionally processed cooked Yoder's bacon. They will, they will be used for a treat if we are without power for weeks. It's way too expensive per pound to store much more. I bought six cans of the canned bacon from Yoder's. I taught a class with one can and did a post with the other can. I compare the price of pre-cooked bacon from Costco and one of, and one can of Yoder's in the link provided. Yes, I freeze a few packages of bacon when it goes on sale. I thaw it in the refrigerator and bake it in the oven the next day. I line a cookie sheet with foil and spread the bacon out in single layers as well as I can. I bake the bacon at 400 degrees for 45 to 60 minutes depending on how crispy it gets in that time period. I love that my stovetop stays clean by baking the bacon in the oven. I learned this from my daughter and her husband. It's so much easier. Please note, I, bear, I buy very thick bacon from a meat butcher, so if your bacon is thinner, cut the time in half. Yoder's Bacon. And she provides a link to that as well. Number three, never can butter. Now let's talk about butter. It's not safe to can at home either. Maybe you had a friend show you how to can it. Like bacon, butter has way too much fat in it to safely can it at home. Here again, we don't know what bacteria may be growing in those jars. I watch for butter to go on sale and fill my freezer with as many as my budget will allow. I also bought some powdered butter that tastes awful. I get the dry heaves just thinking about the smell of it. One website states their powdered butter tastes like Land O'Lakes butter. No, it doesn't. I have tried them all. They are fine for baking. This is a statement I was given from the USU Extension Service on a sheet of paper listing food to not store. Quote, home canned butter, especially unsalted butter, has no protection from botulism. Salted home canned butter has no science-based process to can safely. Heating the jars does sterilize it, but it will not kill any botulism spores. When you remove the oxygen from the jar, it allows for the potential growth of botulism spores. End quote. I highly, highly recommend this brand of canned butter for your food storage. 
and Linda loosely uh, links to Red Feather Pure Can Butter in her post. And then fourth, never can milk or cream. Here's the deal with canning milk or cream. It is unsafe to preserve by water bath or pressure canning. The milk and cream have too much fat in them. This is what I found on the USDA website. Quote, caution, do not add noodles or other pasta, rice, flour, cream, milk, or other thickening agents to home canned soups. If dried beans or peas are used, they must be fully rehydrated first. End of quote. In the classes I took to pass my Master Preserver Canning Certificate, we were reminded of these four products I have listed above that they are unsafe to can because we cannot get our pressure canners up to temperatures required to kill off the bacteria. This is why I buy these products from commercial companies that have the equipment to can them safely. Then in the article, um, Linda has linked to or has quoted some comments from other readers, and I think this is, these are from previous posts, but they're good, so I want to read them to you. Thanks to Laura Lee H., explains how butter was stored in pioneer days. The pioneers only made small batches of butter at a time from milking their cow. Then they stored it at room temperature in a butter bell, a ceramic type of dish where they spooned the butter into the top bell part and over the butter poured a small amount of boiled salted water that was cooled over the butter. Then a plate type bottom was placed on it and it was turned over quickly and sat down on the counter. That way the salted water was on the bottom of the butter sealing out the air. Each time they needed the butter they poured the water off and used the butter. Most of them did salt their butter back then when churning it. They tried not to make too much butter at a time only what they could use up in maybe three days. If they made big batches, they were cooking to do baking that would use it up. I think you can still purchase butter bells. And thanks to Shelley for this great comment. The National Center of Home Food Preservation is the go-to resource for safe, approved methods and recipes. If I ever have questions, this is where I go. I am also a master food preserver through Washington State University, and I also rely on extension services to provide information. Please don't trust the online resources you see as safe. Research first. Another Linda telling me what her mom did years ago. Hello, great post. My mom was born in 1910. She told me stories of how things were done in Kentucky for generations. They had cold dairies called various things, but what it came down to was watch where the river level was at the highest point in the year and go a few feet above this. You dig out the riverbank, shore it up, just like they do in the mines, caves, etc. Milk, eggs, butter was stored. Mom said it was very cold even in the summer. Winter temps allowed longer storage, thus greater amounts stored. For pit, pitted fruit, a fruit cellar dug into a mountain or wood building covered to be a small hill, etc. Joe Allen says, actually, you might have included anything dairy as something unsafe to can as well. There's a crowd out there who advocate water bath canning of extra milk. Hopefully, they will survive their ICU stay. So please be careful when canning any foods at home. But these three, we should never can at home. And again, I think this was uh, uh, Linda did a, a, a redo of this uh, this uh, article she had previously posted it so now it's four things that you should never can at home 
And so the, there's a lot of links, and just like all the, all the articles that I'm talking about today, there are a lot of links in there. So you want to go visit them and check them out, uh, the extension service offices and, and other links that are, are, uh, are valuable. So you want to go check those out. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our last, um, our last article, and this comes from the survivalistblog.net. Um, it is MD Creekmore's website. And we are going to be talking about prepping for an electromagnetic pulse or EMP attack. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. This is from Ray. He's a contributor to the, uh, to the website. EMP or electromagnetic pulse attack. Most of us have heard of it. Some of us understand what it is and what it does. And those who have read one second after have an idea of what will happen if we are attacked with it. Some additional information can be found here. The U.S. government created a commission to study EMP and what it could do to the safety and security of the United States. Unfortunately, this committee published its report the same day as the 9-11 Commission, so it didn't get much news coverage. You can read the report at www.empcommission.org. The bottom line in the report is that it is not a matter of if, but when we will be hit. EMP will take out just about everything electronic, whether it is connected to the grid or sitting unplugged on the kitchen counter. Things connected to the grid may fry from the 100,000 volt surge brought through the power distribution lines. Electronics with transistors or integrated circuits are extremely sensitive to static electricity and can be destroyed by as little as 100 volts. Walking across a carpet and sparking to the door knows well over 1,000 volts. The surge created by the EMP in your electronic device will be sufficient to destroy them if they are not protected. One of the committee members likened EMP to a time machine, transporting our society from today to 1870 in about one second. We become, once again, an agrarian society capable of supporting the level of population that we had in 1870. This means that there will be a lot of Americans dying. Our goal, your goal, is to be among the survivors. There are many things that need to be done to prepare. Learning survival skills, having land and gardening, preserving knowledge, and many other things. Having communications and some of the, of the gadgets survive could mean the difference between surviving and not surviving. Things like solar battery chargers, batteries, inverters, ignition systems for chainsaws, critical farm equipment, electronics, walkie-talkies, NV gear or night vision gear, among others, could be critical when the time comes. What is an EMP? When a nuclear bomb is exploded above the atmosphere, it, relates, it releases gamma rays in all directions. The, one, the ones that head toward the atmosphere strike air molecules and strip off electrons. Those electrons and gamma rays head towards Earth, stripping even more electrons. This avalanche of electrons, called the Compton Effect, interact with the Earth's electromagnetic field, creating very strong magnetic waves. When a magnetic field crosses a conductor, electrical current is produced. While the, this EMP magnetic wave crosses power lines, electronic equipment, anything conductive, current is produced. Enough current could be produced to create fires, exploding transformers, extremely high voltage or current pushing through resistance results in voltage, which can break down insulation and create arcing and short circuits. 
1962, the U.S. detonated a 1.4 megaton bomb over one of the test sites in the Pacific. It was high enough that the island of Hawaii, 900 miles away, had 300 streetlights go out and some microwave links were damaged. Hours after the detonation, there were still surges and ripples in the power system. That was when we used vacuum tubes and before transistorized equipment was on the market. Today, with microcircuits and all of the very high-tech equipment that we have in our homes, our factories, and our defenses, we are more vulnerable than ever. The U.S. Senate recently stripped funds for hardening the country's power grid against EMP from a Homeland Security bill. We are on our own. What can be harmed? Will EMP harm you? You, the human, will be safe. Magnetic waves, even very strong ones, will not harm you. MRIs use strong magnetic waves to make images of your innards. But look around you at anything with a wire or a chip, whatever you see, be it toaster, TV, laptop, microwave, oven, radio, chainsaw, car, or truck, it is vulnerable, and the higher the technology, the more vulnerable. WSHTF, you won't need a TV, but you will need a radio, perhaps walkie-talkies, probably solar battery chargers, that ignition coil on your chainsaw, maybe that night vision scope, and whatever else you deem necessary for your survival. EMP won't hurt you, but it, will, but it may take away every, every electronic device that you own. If you are part of a group, you might consider building a large box and sharing it and the cost. What can I do? One way to protect your gear is to build a Faraday shielded box and keep your stuff in it. A Faraday shield is simply a physical device that prevents electromagnetic radiation from passing in or out. In our case, we'll take a, we'll take a cardboard box, cover it with copper screening material, and then ground it well. I'll describe the one that I built, and you can size it up or down as you think necessary. Copper screen material with wire spacing of 0.1 inch is indeed is needed and is the most expensive part of the project. You can keep costs down by the by only making as big a box as necessary. But when you think of the cost, think of the cost of the items that you will be protecting and what it might cost you if they don't make it. I started with a two foot by two foot by three foot cardboard box. I actually had two of them. I cut the top flaps off of one and cut up the other to bend and fold a lid like a hat box with about two inches of side overlap. I wanted a loose fitting top with plenty of overlap on the sides. You don't want any holes or gaps in the copper shielding, which is why I put the two inch flap on the lid for the box. I laid out the screen coverage to minimize the number of lap, uh, lapped joints. Cut the screen and use spots of hot melt glue to hold the pieces in place. I folded the screen around lips and edges, cut and tucked it into corners, and then used a very hot or 150W soldering, I guess watt, soldering iron to solder all the lap joints and corners. On the lid, not only cover the outside, but fold the screen into the underside of the side overlaps. You don't want any missed area of coverage of the screen. Next, take a piece of bare number 10 AWG or number 12 AWG house wiring Romex and strip off the insulation. Form it into a loop with a pigtail. Now make a second one. Lay one on one side flap 
of the lid and solder the pigtail to the screen. Put the lid on the box and solder the other loop to the main box a couple of inches below the pigtail loop on the lid. Your box is ready. Find an out of the way place where it can stay undisturbed. From the box run a copper wire number 10 AWG outside the house to a ground rod. You can use a ground rod of copper or galvanized steel or you can get 10 foot or half inch galvanized pipe. Drive it into the ground at least 8 feet. Attach the copper wire to the clamp and make sure that you always have the box and lid connected to the ground wire. At the box end of the wire use alligator clips to connect the main wire to one of the pigtails and then make a short jumper between the two pigtails. I haven't finished stocking mine but my list includes night vision goggles, IR laser sights for the rifle, game cameras, batteries, crank emergency radio, walkie talkies, solar battery charger, 12 volt to 110 VAC inverter, ignition coil for the chainsaw and alternator for the tractor. EMP is a complex, su complex subject with lots of contradictory information available. Agree or disagree, I'd like to hear your thoughts in the comments below as well as your tips and advice. Well, after reading this article, uh, going looking at the comments, I think there's like 120 comments. So uh, there's a lot of good information. I know somebody's mentioned uh, one second after and then uh, one year after. I haven't read one year after yet. I need to go ahead and look at that. Every time I read an EMP story, it's uh, you know your your mind starts running away with you. You gotta you gotta realize that it's it's uh, it's uh, fiction, but you know very possible to happen. But uh, there's a lot of, you know, over the years I've read a lot of EMP articles. There's a lot of information, a lot of, a lot of people have different varying opinions about it. Some people say you can make a Faraday cage just out of a, a lunar, aluminum can, and you've seen probably YouTube videos and different things about that, if I can find that. I know I've linked to that before on uh, Prepper website. I'll go ahead and link to that in the show notes as well. But um, a lot of information out there, and so you kind of just need to kind of take and think about what is the most important things if you're going to put something away for safekeeping. And the other thing is, you know, if, you, if you're putting like an emergency radio or something in there, um, one of those crank radios, I know that I've seen articles where crank radios weren't used, and then they go to use them, and then they're, they're not working, right? So um, you do want to take those things out every once in a while and kind of use them. And if you do make a Faraday cage, and and um, you know, make sure things are working and in their proper order. All right. So again, there's a lot of information there, a lot of links. So you want to go to the links and go check out the comments. There's always great comments in all these articles. So um, before I go, I, I, you know, th this being the first episode, I want to share why I decided to do a podcast. So from the very beginning of my personal preparedness development, I, I've listened to podcasts. I, I love listening to great content, and I know the value of it. And as technology has greatly improved, specifically with smartphones, now podcast catchers and, and even services like Amazon Audible, more and more people are listening to audio and that easily travels with them, that goes with them wherever they're, they're going. And as I run Prepper website, I see all this great written content out there, and I just believe it would be a big blessing and benefit to the preparedness community to have it go audible as well. 
So that's why I'm putting money and resources toward this service. So I hope you will see uh, a benefit of, of it as well. And I hope that you will um, come to the Prepper Website Podcast uh, episode link and link to these articles and, and go check them out for yourself and look at the pictures and, and again, the pictures and the links that they're, uh, that they're linking to. There's a lot of great information there. So um, if I can ask you for a big favor, again, this is episode one, and I will do this on a regular basis, but uh, a big, big, huge favor, right? You can be very instrumental in getting the word out about this podcast by reviewing it on iTunes. iTunes is the big one. You know, that's the, a lot of people go to iTunes. So uh, definitely, if you can go to iTunes and do a review there, I would really, really appreciate it. You can also, you know, we're also on Google Play. We're also on Stitcher. We're also on on uh, on TuneIn. We'll be on TuneIn. Um, so it hasn't gone live yet, but we'll be on TuneIn. And so if you can go in and uh, give us a review, that would be very, very helpful and, and beneficial. People will see that. And I think that, that I believe that moves us up in the ranking. So when people do a search for prepper or preparedness or whatever, that moves, moves, moves us up in the ranking. So I would greatly appreciate that. Also, please feel free to share this out on social media. I've got easy to share social media links out there and getting the word out there. Also, word of mouth is very, very helpful. And don't forget to drop by the Prepper Website podcast to drop me a line and just, you know, let me know that you're listening. That would be, uh, you know, that's always encouraging to know that that's, uh, that there's people out there. I mean, I can look at the analytics. I can see people are, are hitting the episodes. But, you know, hearing some from someone say, hey, Todd, that was a great episode or, hey, I really like that article. That was a good one. Um, you know, thanks for doing that. Um, you know, th- that's always helpful. And then don't forget, you can always catch me on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We have links to all of that on uh, theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. So we'll be back tomorrow with other great articles to share. And don't forget, uh, there are a ton of great articles on prepperwebsite.com if you just can't wait for the next episode. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.